Stand please before uh, Horace comes before us. Today's uh, sermon. Sing the song. And it's time for us to sell. I figured it out the second time. Amen. Amen on that. That's what I should have said after that song. Uh, it is great uh, to be uh, with the Birmingham Church of Christ. Last uh, March, uh, my wife and I visited and uh, interviewed, and uh, Lord willing, uh, you, you decided we should come, and we thought we should go, and we are here. Uh, it's been a very long journey. Uh, we were in Sydney, Australia uh, for the last four years, my wife and I serving the church there, along with our four daughters. Uh, three of the four are in here uh, at this moment. Grace is 13, Ruby's 11, Eva, our youngest, is six. She's feeling a bit sick. She's six, feeling a bit sick. And uh, so she's now in Kids' Kingdom. And then Violet, our uh, nine-year-old, is in Kids' Kingdom. So we're very thankful to be with you. Uh, we've been praying for you, anticipating uh, this moment. Uh, and it's just great. It's awesome. It's exciting uh, to finally be in Birmingham with the church here. Uh, thank you for inviting us into your lives. Uh, we know that's a privilege and an honor uh, that you would do that. And, and we're excited to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, many thanks to all of you who have... This afternoon. Wow. So many things to adjust to. Time zones. When you actually preach in the service. See, earlier, you know, we have fellowship break in Sydney, and then I preach right after that. So I, I thought, fellowship break, click, I'm preaching. So I just, I walked up and saw Roger and realized I wasn't. Um, but it is good to be together with you this afternoon. Amen. I'll get there. Uh, you can be turning to the book of Philippians. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to preach this uh, for, the, for the next good while on Sundays. We're going to dive in, dive in deeply to the book of Philippians. Uh, but it has been quite a journey, and we're very uh, thankful to be here with you uh, this afternoon. Yes, this afternoon. Um, I'll get there eventually. Uh, we uh, do want to really thank you. Uh, thank you for, again, inviting us to come and serve uh, the church here. Uh, and, and again, just thank you for all those who've come to our home this week and helped us unpack and move in and made us food. And we were really overwhelmed uh, by the hospitality already of the church. And so I really, on behalf of my wife and my daughters, want to thank all of you uh, who came over and, and all of you who've been praying for us and praying for this transition uh, but I have a job to do today, and that is to preach God's Word, and I'm excited uh, to do that. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray, uh, and then we'll look here at the book of Philippians uh, to wrap up our time together today. Uh, bow with me, if you would, in a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, whether we're in uh, the UK time zone or the Australian time zone, uh, wherever we are, God, uh, you are above time. Uh, you are above uh, all the limitations and all the things that hinder us and, and, and harm us and, and confuse us, as I've displayed this, uh, this afternoon already. Uh, and we thank you, God, uh, that you are uh, a God who is present everywhere all the time and knows everything and everyone. And we thank you, God, that we can learn about you through your word. And I pray as we study Philippians together over the next few months as a church that we will really uh, be inspired, God, to be closer to you and be inspired, God, to bring uh, this message uh, to this city. Uh, thank you so much, God, for, uh, for this time together. I pray you can bless our time in your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, well, we'll start with some, with some prayer, and, and I do want to have more prayer together as a church uh, in, in the months to come in this new chapter in the church. Uh, but we're also going to have a lot of Bible study, as I said. So let's jump on into it here. Uh, the book of Philippians, my favorite book in the New Testament. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. We'll pick it up here, and I'll give you a little backdrop in a moment. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. 
Paul and Timothy, it says, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to say, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right, he goes on to say in verse 7, for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The letter that church, uh, Paul wrote to the church uh, in, in Philippi, which was the ch- uh, chief city in a, a region of, called Macedonia back then, which is modern-day Greece, uh, was written by Paul about ten years after he had planted the church there uh, in Philippi. Uh, he planted the church there in Philippi. It, it was a Roman colony, uh, and a lot of the retired soldiers from the Roman army actually would settle in Philippi. Uh, it was a, a city that was uh, not very uh, open to new religions. There was actually inscribed on the city gates in stone that any new any new religion would be prohibited within the city. Um, and so Paul uh, planted this church, and we know this from the book of Acts. If you could turn really quick to uh, Acts uh, chapter 16, it's a little backdrop here to the letter before we jump into a few ideas from the text here this morning. Acts, uh, uh, of course, is about the first 30 years of the early church. And Acts 16 picks up uh, in Paul's second missionary journey. He's gone out uh, and planted churches on his first uh, journey. And now he's gone out again to re-strengthen and plant new churches on his second journey. And Acts 16 picks up in the middle of that second journey by Paul. And it says in Acts 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That would be modern-day Turkey to us. Having been kept, it says, by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now they're on the, the, uh, the west coast of Turkey on the Aegean Sea. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samarathasi, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days, Luke notes. Luke is the author uh, here of uh, uh, the book of Acts. And so, it's quite interesting, the pronouns actually change here in the text. It starts out uh, earlier in verses uh, 6 through uh, 9, it talks about... That, referring to Paul and his companions, the missionaries. Uh, But then in verse 10, note, it says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia. And so Luke inserts himself, the author of the book of Acts, into the story at this particular point. What's interesting, if you go over to chapter 16, verse 40, after some events occur in Acts, uh, in, in, in the city of Philippi, which I'll refer to in a moment, it says, 
Then they left. And so Luke stayed back in the city of Philippi. And so so Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia. He had a dream. Some people think perhaps it was Luke at night. You know, Luke was perhaps from Philippi. And he was going, Paul, come to Macedonia while Paul was asleep. We don't really know, but it's pretty clear that Luke had a lot of connections uh, to the city of Philippi uh, based on the fact that he stayed back there. Uh, and based on the fact that he mentions this planting in great detail in the book of Acts. And so it's quite interesting, uh, just just a little subtle nuances here in the text, uh, to give us a little backdrop uh, into how Paul ended up uh, in Philippi. Because he did not intend, he intended just to go back to Asia Minor and, and strengthen and just help out the brothers on a second missionary journey. But God, of course, had other plans. We might have intended something today, but God sometimes has other plans, doesn't he? When God says no to our initial plans, his plans are always better than our initial plans. And so Paul, he listens to God's no and eventually ends up crossing the Aegean Sea through this vision. And then he plants the first church in Europe. And Europe has never been the same ever since in a good way, in many ways, uh, because of the gospel advancing there through the work of the Apostle Paul. And so as Paul plants this church in Philippi, it's, it's a really exciting time. And there's some exciting things that happen that we don't have time to get into this morning. But uh, the first conversion is outside the city gates. They go to pray uh, because no, no outside religions were allowed within the city. Uh, and they meet a woman named Lydia who's a dealer in purple cloth. And she and all of her household, it says, believe in Jesus and are baptized. And so they start to convert people immediately to Christ. Uh, then they go on and, and, and convert a slave girl who follows them around. Uh, she was able to do fortune telling and she had owners and they used to make money off that. And she starts going around and following Paul and telling people to listen to his message. And he gets annoyed and drives out the spirit. It's a crazy story. Uh, we don't have time to get into today. Uh, but nonetheless, because she, uh, she now is, is cured of the demon that was in her, uh, the owners can no longer make money off her. And they have Paul and his companions arrested. Uh, it says they're severely flogged and they're put in prison. Uh, and the text says uh, there in Acts 16, uh, in verse 17... I'm sorry, verse 25, at about midnight, Paul and Silas, after they've been flogged, and they're in prison for just preaching the gospel, were praying and singing hymns to God. And of course, then there's a violent earthquake uh, in verse 26, and the jailer is moved by the whole thing. And the jailer also, he also becomes a Christian. Uh, And so there's an earthquake, uh, there's conversions, uh, there's persecution. Uh, That was the the beginning of the the church of Philippi. It was was quite an action-packed movie. If you were to make a movie about the planting of the church of Philippi, it would be pretty exciting. Even the teens would probably watch it, amen? I mean, it it was that exciting, you know? A lot going on, all kinds of great things going on. And so, but Paul has to go because the persecution is so severe. So he goes on and he plants all kinds of churches uh, throughout that area. and, And he starts really the evangelization of Europe. Uh, that time, and so the book of Philippians is is now ten years later. Ten years later, Paul writes this church uh, to the. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, and, and and so a decade has passed since the beginning uh, of the planting of this church, and so we get this this little window, this intimate interaction uh, of Paul's relationship to the church of Philippi, uh, and we learn a lot about uh, a lot of things in the book of Philippians. A lot of the themes. Uh, that are that are that are majorly uh, uh, emphasized in Paul's writings are are, are first and foremost um, uh, the idea that the gospel is powerful, and we'll talk a lot about the gospel uh, as we as we study out this book. Uh, there's a lot about relationships in this book. There's a lot about unity in this book. There's a lot about joy and rejoicing. Joy and rejoicing are mentioned 16 times in this book. Uh, Philippians is one of uh, one of uh, Paul's epistles known as the prison epistles because he wrote it while he was on house arrest in Rome. 
he was being persecuted. And so uh, it's quite interesting that Paul emphasizes joy, although he's, he's in prison. Uh, there's so much there that we'll learn uh, about the Christian faith. Uh, and so I'm excited to study this out together for a while. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, Paul was a man who, who loved Jesus so much. He loved Jesus so much he was willing to die for Jesus. We, we can say we love Jesus so much, and that's easy to do as Christians, but, but are we willing to go that far and to go to that length to, to show our love for Jesus? Paul was one of those guys who calls us all higher. Uh, and I love what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. This is kind of, you know, you know, good one-liners. This is Paul's best one-liner in all of his letters, in my opinion. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so hopefully the greatest thing that we'll get out of our study of Philippians together is a, is a love and a passion for Christ like that. That we really get what we have as a church in Christ. Uh, and so they have this beautiful, radical, crazy beginning in the book of Acts chapter 16 that we just read about. Uh, and then 10 years later, 10 years later, we see that the church is still going strong. They're still growing, but Paul wants them to continue and to press forward. And so let's look at three ways here. Paul encouraged the church uh, in Philippi uh, to help us to, to, to consider how we're doing, to consider where we're going, to consider how we can keep growing uh, as a church and as Christians. Amen? Uh, the first big theme here in chapter 1 is faithful friendships. Turn back to Philippians 1. We read it just a little while ago. The first uh, thing that really stands out to me that allowed the church to start so well, allowed this church in Philippi to keep going, were these faithful friendships. Look at the language here uh, in Philippians chapter 1. He says, uh, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day... Until now. Paul said he always prays for all of them. From the, from the first day until now. For ten years. They've had this faithful relationship together. You know we are brothers and sisters according to the Bible. If we're Christians. And, and like any family as we grow up in Christ. Uh, you know we, it should become less and less about you know. Who are you and who am I. And more and more about our friendship. And more and more about a partnership. Uh, that you know, my, my, my eldest daughter is 13. As she gets older and older, it should be more and more about we're, we're friends in this together. Because she became a Christian recently. And, and less and less, I'm dad and she's my daughter, right? And that's, that's a big transition for parents, amen, in the teen years. Pray for me, I'm learning that. And, and she's learning that too, you know. And, and, but that's exciting. That's, that's, that's maturity in Christ. Now, yeah, we're brothers and sisters, but it's more than that. We have a, we have a faith that we share. We have a purpose that we have together that goes beyond just the titles and roles that we have with one another. And you see that here with Paul. He's the Apostle Paul. But, it, but it's, it's like these are, just, these are just his family members. These are people he's known his whole life because he had this faithful friendship uh, with this particular church. And it really begs the question, you know, how does that happen? Because think about it for a second. These are, these are Gentiles primarily in Greece. And these, these are not people who Paul would have grown up knowing. These are not people who Paul would have grown up being around at all, culturally or spiritually for that matter. He's a, he's a devout Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. And these are you know, Gentiles in Greece. It's an odd couple, for sure. But they have this incredible kinship, this, this incredible relationship that's lasted over a decade that is still inspiring multitudes thousands of years later. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen clearly through a common heritage, a common culture, a common language, similar hobbies, similar interests. No, it clearly happened through the gospel. Because Paul says here, 
He, he has all this joy because, in verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel. It was the work of the mission. It, it was the work of the gospel of Jesus in his life and in their life that brought him and them so closely together. You know, as I mentioned, Philippi was a retired Roman military colony. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know why, but that, that's what it was. I don't know if they had like really nice you know, baths there for the elderly. I, you know, I don't know, but it, it was a retired Roman military colony. And, uh, and what's interesting is you get some militaristic language actually in Paul's letter here to the church uh, in Philippi. In chapter 2, verse 25, he mentions Epaphroditus, whom they sent uh, with a gift to him. And that's why he wrote the letter back to them. He mentions Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier. I like to use that with the brothers. Hey, soldier, you know, that's kind of a fun thing. Uh, it's exciting. We're in, the, we're in the war together for Jesus. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he speaks of women who were divided at that point, who contended at his side for the gospel. Again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a battle kind of language. Uh, but what's interesting is in chapter 1, right away, uh, in verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, and, 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 the, and the Greek there, uh, most scholars think that it indicates, again, a military type term. And so most of these guys that they were associated with the Greek or Roman army would have pictured in, in verse 27 as he makes this statement of standing as one, this particular military formation, which is the phalanx. Anybody know about the phalanx? Amen. Well, I'll teach you about the phalanx. Oh, yeah, Al, Al does. Okay, amen. Well, the phalanx was, was a very successful military formation that was used first by the Greeks and then by the Romans. And the thing is, how do you penetrate that? If they've all got their swords and their shields up, how do, how do you get in there and attack them? You don't. They attack you. They move over you like a tank. But the key was they had to stay together. As soon as one man breaks, breaks ranks in there, then, then it, it doesn't, it, it's vulnerable and it's weak and it doesn't actually stand anymore. And that's the picture that Paul was trying to give to the church. That's how you need to stand together. That's what faithful friendships in the church look like. You know, are you... Are you lonely? Are you bored relationally in the church? Do you feel distant? Well, maybe, perhaps, it's not about their personality or their issues or yours. Maybe it's because we've lost our higher purpose. Maybe we're no longer about the gospel and the mission. Because I've got best friends all over the world now. That's one of the great things about serving in the U.S. and Australia and now in the U.K. I already kind of feel that a little bit with you guys. Best friends, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. But That's an assumption, you know. Um, But some of my... Some of my most dear friends from my four years in Australia are the ones that I fought the most with in, in, in the mission. The ones that we battled together, we contended as one man for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Dennis and Maravik Gouda are, are some of our best friends in Sydney. And Dennis is this, he's this little, uh, you know, worship leader, emotional Filipino guy. I love him to death. I'm nothing like him, but we're really close because we, we contended side by side for the mission. That's what brought us together more than anything else. You know, do, do you need more fun together, more similarities, more interests, more, more cultural revel, relevance or understanding? Yes, that can help. I'm not saying that we don't need to work on that. We always have to work on that. I was hanging out with uh, uh, Dave and Lawrence the other day, two of the young single guys, and, and I found out they play basketball. And I said, oh, man, I'm going to be hanging out with these guys a lot because I love to play basketball. But I know, uh, you know, whether God has me here for the rest of my life or, or, or a decade or whatever, I know at the end of the day, I'll be way closer to Dave and Lawrence because we will contend side by side for the gospel than I will be because we were good on the basketball court. 
And, and you know that too, right? About your relationships. The ones that really matter in the church are always the one where you stand side by side for the, for the contention of the gospel. Everything else is fine, but it's just a bonus. It's not what matters most. How are we doing as a church in faithful friendships in that sense? Are we working as partners in the gospel? It's not just getting together, getting along, having a religious discussion. It's, it's men and women who are together on a mission. That's what I picture when I, when I see Paul in the church in Philippi. And that's, that's the kind of relationships I want to have with you. That's the kind of relationships I know we want to have with each other. But it's the mission. The mission that often transforms and creates those relationships and knits us closer and closer together. And if we don't focus more and more on the mission, we tend to focus more and more on each other. And the more we focus more and more on each other, the more and more problems we start to have. Because the church is full of sinners. Some are saved and some are lost, but we're all sinners. And to me, I I love the mission. Because it it gets the focus off of me. It gets the focus off of you. It gets the focus on Christ. Because if I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, I better be walking with him. If I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell you to come with me, you better be walking with him because we we got a mission, right? we got a mission. You know, side hugs, cards, all those things are great, but we we got to share the mission to really have faithful friendships. Have we lost gratitude and joy for one another in this room? Do Do you feel, some of you have been here longer than a decade together, from what I know the history of this church, do you feel after 10, 20, 30 years the way Paul feels after just 10 If we don't, perhaps it's because we've lost sight of that higher purpose in our lives. To keep growing, we all need faithful friendships. Paul and the church of Philippi, they're they're a high call. And I look forward to growing together with you uh, as we contend for the gospel together. Amen. Uh, The second thing here is prayer partners. Faithful friendships. The second thing here is prayer partners. Paul's passion for this uh, faithful friendship with the church of Philippi was evident in his prayer life for them as well. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, he says he often prayed for all of them. Often and all of them. For a decade. And I love verse 9 because it gives us a little insight on what he actually prayed for them for. He prayed that their love, he says, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they may be able to discern what is best. They may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the, their fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He didn't pray that they would get a bonus at work or that home that they wanted or that new car or that they would not be as sick as they were. Those are all things we can certainly pray for each other. But he took it so much further, didn't he? And, and, and dare I say, if we get these things, those other things will work themselves out one way or another, right? Uh, because we'll be so close to God that we can handle whatever comes our way in the every in and out of day uh, things in our lives. You know, Paul really believed in interceding for brothers and sisters through prayer. And I can re- read this text in my simple nature. I think, well, okay. Paul's on house arrest. He actually literally had a Roman guard uh, handcuffed to him at all times in a house that he rented in Rome. So, so I can read this and be skeptical and say, well, what else could he do but pray? So yeah, of course he was praying because that's all he really could do. He'd just sit there write letters and pray. You know, I'd, I'd be praying a whole lot more for people if that's all I was doing too. But I don't, I don't think Paul saw it that way. I don't think Paul saw it that way at all. I, thought, I think he saw it as, as there are really important things that you guys need to be doing, so I better be praying for you. It had nothing to do with his circumstances or situation at all, I believe. And so we have to look at this and ask ourselves, do we, do we really believe in the power of prayer? 
Because we can, we can have conflict with each other. Uh, you know, we will. Get, the church is God's perfect plan for imperfect people, right? We're going to have our challenges, right? But, but any time that we go through things, you know, in, in, in life, you know, we, we, we can bring each other before each other or we can bring each other before God. And prayer is an opportunity to bring each other before God. And if I'm praying for you, I'm bringing myself and you before God. And that's even better. That's even better. And that's the kind of prayer life I believe Paul uh, really had. A lot of his letters uh, actually really indicate this. Ephesians chapter 1 uh, is one of, one of my favorite ones. He's, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says he never stops praying for them. It's convicting. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And he opens the letter to the church in Philippi, right? In the same way. We just read it, right? Prayer is often one of the, the first things he mentions because it is one of the most important things he believed he could be doing for the church. In all these letters, you know, uh, Paul, he says, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. But what's really encouraging to me is he also says, please pray for me. Chapter 1, verse 19. Ephesians 6, verse 19. Colossians 4, 3. We don't have time to look at it. You can look at it later. He says, and by the way, please pray for me. I need your prayers as much as I need to be praying for you. Paul's just, you know, he's just, he's just bathing it all in prayer. You know, what, you know, whatever it is, whoever it is, what the situation is, we, we have got to be praying. Because the more we pray, the more we bring Jesus literally into the situation. Now, we all want to influence each other in the right direction. I believe when we interact as Christians, we, we don't mean to hurt each other. We don't mean to harm each other. We only, we only mean to help. Uh, and, and getting together for meetings, uh, discipling times, retreats, conferences, those things, they, they all help. And I hope when, when, the, when the body is meeting, you believe that you should be there. Sometimes you can't be there. Amen. Life goes that way. But, but it's really important. As we read on Friday night, it says in Ephesians 3, together with all the saints... You grasp how wide and high and, and, and long and deep is the love of Christ. Um, but, but that is not enough. It's not enough, right? We, we, we need to also bring each other before Jesus in prayer. You know, this is a new chapter in the church. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I really hope and, and, and really believe that it's, it's very important for us to really be prayerful right now as a church. I ask you to be praying for specific things that you know God wants to see and God wants to accomplish in this new chapter in the church. I ask you to be praying about specific things that you're, you see Satan trying to do in the church, to hurt the church and harm the church. And giving those, those situations and those people to God so that we can be united as God's people through prayer. I ask you to pray for me. 
Pray for my wife. Pray for my children. We, we're, we're in a new country. I, I can't even get what time of day it is right yet. You know, I'm, I'm driving stick shift from the other side, you know, and I'm, I'm grinding my gears and I'm, I'm getting lost driving around Birmingham trying to, you know, set up my home and I'm trying to get with all of you. I, I would love to spend time with each and every one of you. I put this out Friday and I'll say it again today. My wife and I would like to come to each one of your homes or you come to our home. That's our first goal. That's goal number one. We want to get to know you and we want you to get to know us. Uh, so uh, get out your day planner and we'll talk. Just can't do it all in the first you know, month. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But, but, but all that aside, you know, without God in the center, without Jesus interceding for us, it's not going to work. We can plan, we can, we, we can dream, we can get so excited and so fired up, but if, if God is not in the center, it's not going to work. Prayer is where we, we keep God in the center and we keep Him there in whatever, in, in wherever we're going and whatever we're doing. You know, more prayer is what I'm, what I'm encouraging right now in the church. More prayer, individually and collectively. And we'll, as we have some meetings here in the future, we'll, we'll, we'll try to have a lot of prayer together at all of our meetings. I think that'll be really, really helpful. And, and for me, this is not a strength. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, to my shame as a minister of the gospel, uh, I think it's easy for me to rely on myself. And it's easy for me to rely on the Bible and what it says. And, and, and it's harder for me to, to, to pray and really ask Jesus to come in and get involved uh, in the situations and things that, that, I, that I'm working with. So, so pray for me to pray more for you, uh, if that makes sense, here in this first chapter uh, in the church. Ten years later, Paul and the Philippians' prayer partnership was going strong and it continued to move them forward, and it will move us forward too. Amen. Amen. Uh, the last thing here we see this morning is complete confidence. We gotta have faithful friendships to keep growing. Gotta have uh, prayer partnerships to keep growing. And lastly, here we gotta have complete confidence. Teens, are you still with me? Yes. All right. I know it's been a long day for some of the teens. And the teen drivers, Brian, are you still with me? Damn. Are you still with me? All right. Amen. <laughs> Third and final point here. I know it's it's a very warm day in uh, in, in Birmingham. Yeah. Feels cool coming from Australia, but that's another story. <laughs> Complete confidence. I, I love what Paul says here. It's so encouraging. He says in verse uh, verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in verse 6 of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When Paul thought of the church of Philippi and he prayed for them, he, w- he was so so joyful because everything was perfect in their lives. And everything was going so smoothly and, and God had answered every prayer. No, it, d- it doesn't say that. It says he was confident that God would finish the work that he had started. And there was clear that there was still work to do. When you go, you go through the letter, there, there's some real issues and challenges uh, that the church in Philippi is going through. Uh, he mentions his suffering, Paul himself, in chapter 1, verse 24, in chapter 2, uh, verse 17. But we think that he mentions that because, because they were getting persecuted and they were being timid. They were pulling back. And Paul was saying, hey, I, I'm in Rome with my neck on the line and I'm standing firm. As a matter of fact, I'm converting people in Caesar's household. So stand firm in Philippi. But they were struggling, obviously, to do that based on the letter. Chapter 3, he challenges legalism. Every religious person struggles with legalism. If you, if, if you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while and you think you don't struggle with legalism, I laugh at you. We all struggle with legalism. We all struggle with legalism. I thought it was wrong to not have me preach up the fellowship break. No, I'm just kidding. I, did. I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel that way. But I could have been tempted to be that way if I was legalistic. Amen. And lastly, that's a joke. That's a bad joke. Uh, lastly, here, and lastly here, more seriously, 
More seriously, and perhaps one of the reasons Paul wanted to get this letter to the church is in chapter 4 and verse 2, it says that two prominent sisters are divided. They're not agreeing with each other. To the point where Paul feels like the whole church needs to know about this. Because there's a division within the church, and that's obviously a very serious thing. And so like any church, Philippi had its challenges. But Paul was confident that through Christ they would grow to completion. And it just reminds us here at the end here of a very obvious point. We are all works in progress. We are all works in progress. And the architect and builder of our lives and of our church is not. It's, it's not a man or a group of people. It's, it's not leadership. It's not even the church as a whole. It's ultimately God himself. He is the one who's working in the church. He is the one who's building it and moving it forward. And, and this should give us excitement. This should give us confidence, just like Paul has. This should give us joy. Because a lot of times we, we can look at the church and we don't feel that way. We can see problems, we can see challenges, and we think, oh no, and we start freaking out. But that's because we're not looking at God, and we're not seeing that God, even in the good and the bad and the ugly, can still work. Read through the Bible. Over and over and over. Read through, read through the book of Acts. There's all kinds of mess going on in the church. Jews won't hang out with Gentiles. Jews telling Gentiles they got to be circumcised to be saved. I'm going to have problems with this, this microphone clearly as I'm here. <laughs> And so we have to take a step back in the midst of the challenges and, and, and have confidence in the work of Christ. Confidence in the work of Christ. Our view is very limited. We see the mess. We see the struggle in our lives and in others. But God sees what we will become. God sees the end result of his plans for us. We see Saul the Pharisee. God sees Paul the Apostle. This is really going to be challenging. <laughs> you know, we... All right. Sorry, recorder. Um, well, we can hear you from down. There. Go on, leave it in. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so as we close out here, as we close out here, I, I really want to encourage us, you know, to consider how we're doing. Personally, as a, if you're a Christian in the room today, you know, do you feel like you're, you're you've grown this year spiritually? Do you, do you feel like, yeah, I'm marching forward in triumphal procession in Christ? Because that's how we should feel as Christians always. And, and, and the reality is, it's not it's not about what's happened. It's not about what's going to happen. It's all about Christ. He will move you forward if you will come to Him. And Paul gives us great insight here, great insight as he opens his letter to the Church of Philippi of three things that will help us to get there. Faithful friendships, really really being partners in the gospel. Uh, it's exciting to, you know, to see the room filling up, but we got, we, got a lot, we got a lot more people to get to, don't we, in this great city. This is the second largest city in the UK. We should have, we should have a huge church here, you know, proclaiming the gospel, but we got to work together, and it's going to bond us more than anything else as we do God's work here together. Prayer partners, you know, you know are we, can we take that challenge to pray more together? Can we take that challenge to, to pray more for situations and for people? I believe God will, will, will bring Jesus more and more through our prayers into those situations, and we'll see more and more progress through those things. And lastly, complete confidence. Yes, we have our ups and downs, our challenges. I can't even preach without hitting the mic, and I don't even know what I'm up. You know, But, 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 but God is going to work. He's going to work. Do we have complete confidence in the sovereignty of God? Complete confidence in God's ability to work through our mess and our struggles and our ups and our downs and our highs and our lows individually and collectively 
because uh, Paul had that confidence with the church in Philippi. And it wasn't because he was there to help them. It wasn't that at all. It was just because of his confidence that they, if they stay close to Christ, Christ will see them through. And if you're visiting with us today, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for sticking around on this hot afternoon uh, to hear this American guy who you don't know speak. Uh, you know, I really want to encourage you uh, to think about how you're doing. You know, are you are you growing spiritually in your life? And perhaps you're here because you want to grow more spiritually and you come to a church that can really help you. And so I want to encourage you to really get connected to our church. Uh, join up with one of our family groups that meet all over the city. Keep coming with us on Sundays. There's a lot of ways we can help you to grow if that's what you want in your life. And so may we be reminded here today from Philippians 1 to keep growing. Faithful friendships, prayer partners, and complete confidence will get the job done. Uh, I'm excited to be in Britain. Uh, there's so much history here. There's just so much history. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, and there's a lot of famous uh, uh, Brits as you look back at history, right? And, and one, of the, one of the more famous Brits to me is this guy. Anybody know who that is? Sir Edmund, Sir Edmund Hillary. Scott does, right? He's a mountain climber. Who, who, what is Sir Edmund Hillary famous for? He was the first, he was the first uh, white man, I believe, uh, to, to, to summit Everest. I don't know if the Sherpas did it before he did, but he was the first person with the Sherpas to do it. You know, and you know how that goes. And uh, amen. Um, but what many people don't know about Sir, Sir, Sir Hillary is, is he did not make it to the top of Everest in his first attempt. The first time was a complete failure, actually. They encountered one problem after another, and more than half of his climbing party died. Despite his failed first attempt, the British Parliament was so excited, they decided to honor him with some type of award. I think the politicians are still doing that today. And it says, uh, the story goes, when, when, uh, when, when Hillary uh, entered the chamber to receive his award, he saw a large picture of Everest. Uh, set up on the stage. And during the stadium ovation for him that he was receiving, he walked over to the picture, shook his fist at it, and said, You won this time, but you're as big as you're ever going to get, and I'm still growing. <laughs> and that's the spirit we need to have in God's church. You know, Satan can only do so much, we're going to keep growing. God's got great plans in store for all of us, and I really believe Faithful friendships, prayer partners, and complete confidence will help us to spiritually be like this man and, and, and climb those, those, over those, those, those valleys and peaks and do great things for God together as a church. Thank you so much uh, for welcoming me and my family to Birmingham. I look forward to many uh, great times together. That's the sermon for today. Thank you very much. Amen.